Today on Next Level E-Commerce. Since so many people had to stay indoors, they kind of shifted a lot of their available spending dollars from entertainment or restaurants to just buying stuff, right? <laughs> so a lot of those available dollars went into buying physical products and the supply chain kind of got a little jammed because we saw demand that we've never seen in the past. You're listening to Next Level E-Commerce. Each week, we feature inspiring stories from entrepreneurs who have taken their business to the next level. They share successes and failures and what kept them going when they felt like giving up. And here's your host, Isaac Smith. Now I know what you're thinking. It's been delay after delay. Just what is going on with my suppliers? Why is it taking so long to get those products to the warehouse? Are they telling me the truth? Do they even know? Well, I want to let you know that I've got your back. Today, we're diving deep into the supply chain, giving you an up-to-the-minute on manufacturing in China and logistics shipping products out, getting them to you. Plus, toward the end, there's some great discussion about the economy in general. For example, is inflation here to stay? Well, you'll have to wait to find out. This episode of Next Level E-Commerce is brought to you by Ian Bond of ProfessionalWebsiteInvestors.com. And my guest today is Brian Miller, who's the founder of Easy China Warehouse, which is a logistics company in China. <laughs> With a name like that, of course, it's in China. Anyway, Brian's been on the podcast twice before. He first told his story on episode 7, way back in 2019. The second time, I brought him back to give us an insider's view of the coronavirus and what was happening in China as the virus was just starting to break out here in the U.S. and around the world. We recorded that episode on March 10th of 2020, and by the time it went live two days later, the world had changed. What a crazy time if you remember back to then, right? Through the past year, Brian's had an inside view of the supply chain as he's been continuing to run his logistics company. And after today, you'll know as much as he knows. Last thing, before we get into it, if you missed last week's episode, and how could you miss our 100th episode? Anyway, if you missed it, I made an announcement. I'm going to take a break from the podcast for a few months. I've been putting out an episode every Tuesday for over a year and a half, and I just need a break. So, until about October, we'll probably mark the two-year anniversary when we come back. That was kind of late October. Uh, we're going to replay some listener-favorite episodes, so it'll be good to catch up on the best episodes that you've missed, or get a refresh on some great conversations uh, mindset and information and all the great stuff we get into here. Um, and something I think is a bit funny, <laughs> after I made that announcement last week, over the past week, a few people have asked me what I'm going to be doing on my break, like I'm going on vacation or something, and I can't help but to laugh. <laughs> you know, it's actually not much of a break, Just getting, I'm just getting a few hours a week back and that sort of, you know, that time pressure Thursday and Friday, I, you know, that, oh no, wh what am I going to say for the podcast that comes out on Tuesday? Uh, I'm going to get a break, a break from that little bit of pressure. Um, not like the pressure is a bad thing, but you need a break every now and then, right? Anyway, uh, I'll still be running my business, Summit Ecommerce Advisors. You know, we do bookkeeping, right? Bookkeeping. If you need your bookkeeping, we help people build their teams. If you need help hiring, right, we can help with that. I'll, cont I'll be continuing to, to run that business. Um, and I'm also going to be, I'm going to try to record a bunch of interviews between now and then so I can have a long backlog and get back to it, you know, with some ease. And <laughs> by the way, now I know why TV shows have seasons. All right, let's get into it. I started this conversation by asking Brian what's changed since we last talked and what life's like in China right now. And now, 
Here's Brian Miller. Life in China is pretty normal because as opposed to many other countries in the world, China has kind of taken a zero COVID case policy. So they've, you know, gone through very strict quarantine measures and uh, contact tracing and things like that to ensure that there's kind of like no spread of the virus here. So yeah, in in that, it's it's also hard to leave. So, uh, you know, to come back to China, you need a 20 day, 21 day quarantine. So that's kind of one of the reasons why I really haven't left. I don't want to <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't want to go through that. So yeah, as far as, you know, life here, as long as you don't get stuck in an area that had a few COVID cases, which we did have recently near my warehouse, and my accountant got caught in a quarantine, she couldn't come to work for two weeks, because mm. they had literally blocked off her area and not letting anyone out because there were some confirmed cases in that area. So as long as you don't get unlucky, in those places, life is pretty normal. Yeah. <laughs> so what does that mean? Life is pretty normal as are people still wearing masks? Are they like, what are you back to like all the normal activities? Yeah. I'd say like, at least you could say for Asia, people take the uh, precautions more uh, seriously. So uh, a lot of people still wear masks just kind of as a courtesy around public and they're required in like public transportation or public buildings and anything <clears throat> that you would do to go into a government facility, excuse me. <clears throat> so yeah, people, you still see the majority of the population wearing them and mm. people are relatively cautious. We also have a QR code that's on our phone and it, is red, orange, or green, depending on your health status or if you've been close to cases. And when there's kind of cases like in Shenzhen, all all the malls or restaurants will check your code to see if you can come in. And they will mass test the city. And only after you do a coronavirus test will you be able to maintain your green code. So that's basically how they, you know, when there is cases around the city, that's kind of how they force the entire city population to go get a test. And if you're, you know, if you're clean, your code stays green. And if you didn't get a test, it will turn yellow. And then it's harder to like kind of live. It's harder. You can't go on the metro, right? Or you can't get on the bus until you go get that test. So yeah, they, they use kind of technology. And yeah, apps on our phone, which, which obviously would probably not work in a lot of the West because, you know, people are too concerned with their privacy. But here, at least where privacy is less of a concern, yeah, they use those type of technologies to kind of contain the uh, virus spread. Mm. Wow. <clears throat> well, this is not the place to debate those sorts of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no not debate. That- just, just, uh, just. That's the way it is, you know. That I'm not not that I want to shy away from important topics, but we're here to talk about some other things. But so it sounds like basically you live your normal life and things are okay. Are there are there any shortages at stores or online uh, retailers? Think uh, I would say see? generally no. We don't have the shortages that we've heard about in the U.S and possibly in Europe that, that I've been seeing on the news and, and hearing from a lot of my friends. So we don't mm. have any of those. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, like I was saying before we started recording, people are very anxious to hear from somebody like <clears throat> you who has, one, lives in China, and two, has insight into the supply and logistical infrastructure for a lot of the stuff that that we as e-commerce business owners <clears throat> buy and sell as well as, you know, just the world in general. So I'll just share a little bit of what we've seen and listeners will probably be familiar with us with this. So, you know, we do bookkeeping for a bunch of e-commerce business owners and we hear 
we have monthly meetings with them. So we hear these updates regularly. And of course, over the past year, it's been a story of supply issues, you know, like pretty, I I think that's not news to anybody as might expect if factories have been closed and, you know, reopening and all of that. But Mm -hmm. interestingly, over, I would say since about May, uh, a couple of things have happened. I think the the general supply of, at least from what I hear, are, are people are having like these, the supply delays are just getting longer and drawn out. And it's like, oh my gosh, is this thing ever going to get here? And the, I think there's a couple of things. There's maybe some raw materials shortages, or it takes time to, to get, you know, from raw material, process it, create the thing and then ship it out. There's also delays at port, port of Los Angeles as like boats backed up for miles or something like that. In combination with that, (laughs) consumers have lost their patience. And so like, this is one thing that we end up talking with a lot of our, you know, the people we work with is like, oh my gosh, our customers, they're not willing to wait anymore. They've got these orders on back order and they're just saying, screw it, give me my money. You know, uh, like let's cancel this whole thing. So these, these, I think these two things are converging here and business owners are kind of scrambling to like figure this whole thing out. So I'm curious, just first and foremost, how much visibility of all of that are you aware of with what we're dealing with here in the U S and yeah. So, I mean, in terms of the supply chain, I'm pretty aware of it because we run a, a freight forwarding and 3PL company. So we're very connected to uh, ship, shipping delays and shortage of the availability of containers. And uh, I also do manufacture some products. So I am familiar with kind of like the, um, the strain on raw materials and the price increases that have happened. So, yeah, we're pretty, I mean, as far as where I am, like I've been very involved with both manufacturing, but also the logistics side coming out of China. So uh, we have kind of a great viewpoint into that issue. Yeah. You're the guy on my, on my list who I I need to talk to when I have questions. In general, at least what surprised me in the beginning is as the coronavirus hit, I thought this is just my personal thought in the beginning is that, oh, the economy will We'll, we'll have issues and uh, consumers will buy less right and stuff and they'll need less stuff. But actually, surprisingly to me, after this whole thing happened and there'd been reports on it, I realized that since so many people had to stay indoors, they kind of shifted a lot of their available spending dollars from, you know, entertainment or restaurants or whatever you do outside to just buying stuff, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So a lot of those available dollars went into buying physical products, right? And that's where the supply chain kind of got a little jammed because we saw demand that we've never seen in the past. And um, at least in China, there's a whole supply chain that starts with the raw material. And as everyone after the coronavirus ran to go grab more raw materials, there was kind of a shortage of available materials, which started driving up prices. I think a lot of people saw that pretty quickly. And probably a lot of people that manufacture, you've known that your factories have probably asked you for price increases over the past year at some time. So yeah, everyone was vying for those raw materials and there became shortages depending on what you made in certain types of materials for certain products, you know, and that caused um, delays in manufacturing. So I put in an order with a factory and my factory might come back to me and say, Hey, Brian, I put in this order for X, Y, and Z material in your product, but we can't get it for two or three weeks. We usually can get it within one week. Right. And so that's really where the delay starts (laughs) is at that point, right? So your factory needs to buy a whole bunch of things and then put them together to make your final product. And a lot of those items that they normally could get very quickly were not available so quickly. Or they would have to even buy more than they're normally used to. So maybe the, the, the raw material factories might say, oh, Previously, you can buy 100, but since there's so much demand, our MOQ is now 500. 
You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it put a lot of strain on, on, you know, people trying to get product. So I think that's the, the first start of the issue. And then yeah. I can go, do you have any like follow-up? And then I can go into the logistics side, which is like the next problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, that I mean, that's sort of what it appears to be like for us. I think the example here has been lumber, right? It, actually, I'm building a house right now and we're, we're going to be getting our keys a week from Wednesday. It's like, woohoo. And, and we just lucked out, got so lucky. We signed when we did. And I know our builder has had to pay a lot for a lot more for the lumber than they expected, but Hey, we have a signed contract here, but a lot of people who wanted to do anything with housing, building, construction, anything who, who came just a few months later, prices have gone through the roof, but you know, the, I've been reading a little bit about that and it's not that there was, I forget the, the terminology exactly. There's, there's forestry and then there's lumber, right? So forestry becomes lumber through milling. So there was this lumber shortage, the two by fours, but the actual trees were not short. There was just, you know, they hadn't made their way through the, the, oh, through the mills process. and all of that. So, so there was a price spike. But those who know the industry, you know, they know that, well, we, you know, just take some time. We'll mill these trees. We actually, they actually had some, some truck, you know, people quit their jobs and whatever. So they had trouble getting people in the trucks to take the the trees to the mills and all of that. But, but clearly this is a temporary supply issue sort of thing. So I think like, that's something that, that we can understand. You just wait, they'll be milled into the two by fours and hopefully the prices First of all, supply will be back and hopefully the prices will come down at least a bit. Is that kind of analogous to what you're seeing there? I mean, <clears throat> surprisingly, we haven't seen any like letdown in prices in terms of like them start to move down yet at all. We've actually continued to see them kind of like slowly grind higher, mm-hmm. specifically in, in logistics. So I don't know whether it's actual, there's so much demand that it is pushing the price up like that, or there's some type of like consumer, no buyer sentiment that they feel anxious. Everyone's putting in orders and it's kind of like creating that environment where prices continue to get driven up out of, out of buyer anxiety to, to, to try Mm -hmm. to get as much supply as they can now before tomorrow, it's more expensive. Just like, you know, how inflation kind of drives people to, to consume more. So, so I yeah, have a, and, a follow-up question to that. Have you seen the raw materials? So were there, there were raw material. Well, I don't know if you would call them shortages, but clearly it was not enough raw material material for this demand. Has that started to meet demand that you've seen? I'd say it's becoming more, um, I don't know if I could say meet demand, but it's, it's becoming less crazy in terms of the market that everyone's vying for materials. I think it's stabilized a bit mm. and not to say that the prices are going to go down, but I don't, you know, anticipate them to go up as much as they did in the recent past, let's say. Yeah. So it's, uh, there's yeah. some stabilization at least, but, but I don't want to be a price predictor because whenever I yeah. try to predict the price, I'm wrong. So yeah, <laughs> at, at least it seems better than before in terms of you're not going to see as much, price increase in the future. Well, we can play armchair economist, right? (laughs) Like this is the most fun thing to do. Oh yeah. This is going to totally be whatever. Okay. Cool. Well, yeah. At least in, at least in what we see for logistics, the prices of containers are uh, slowly grinding higher. They've kind of been going up throughout the whole past year, I'd say. And we used to quote like kind of weekly or monthly because we didn't see any price flip fluctuation, but now we're quoting like daily. I mean, that's how mm. volatile the market is, but we don't see the the price of uh, containers to go down uh, this year. So it should stay at this level or higher going into Q4. So for a lot of those people in the beginning, we had a lot of customers that were saying, oh, like the prices kind of spiked at the end of last year and into Chinese New Year uh, this year. 
And a lot of our customers said, oh, I'll just like wait till the prices go down. <laughs> yeah. But they never went down. They just kind of stayed stable and then they started moving up again. And we see the same thing now. They're either going to be this rate now or higher going into Q4. So I would say, at least for people that are shipping, it doesn't make sense to wait. And in fact, the earlier you get your stuff out, probably the lower cost your shipping will be as we as we move in, into the end of the year. <clears throat> Do you have any visibility or, I mean, we've been reading about the price of containers and do you do you know why that that is is it just demand or is there a a real shortage it seems to be demand driven because there hasn't been a lot of supply taken out of the market in terms of what we had before the pandemic or before COVID started. So there, yeah, the demand for goods have increased so much that the the space, the physical space on the ship is not enough and it's harder to secure a contain- container. And usually you have to wait longer to book <clears throat> a container on a ship now. So that it seems to be that a lot of container companies are actually manufacturing a lot of containers, but the cycle to let's say build a new ship or like build containers takes a lot longer than several months you know what i mean so it's very hard to put supply back on the into the market in terms of the space on ships and also we've heard that containers aren't even waiting in the u.s to be reloaded to ship back to china they're just shipping empty ships back to China <laughs> to reload them as fast as possible. So yeah, that's driven up prices quite a lot. And also the ports are kind of over capacity. So at least in, in the West, like LA and, and Long Beach, we're seeing that they can't handle any of the increased volume. Like, I don't know exactly how the port was run before, but it must have been they were almost at capacity before you know, the coronavirus started. And now with so much extra capacity, we're seeing ships sitting out dock or anchored offshore for up to two weeks, at least before they're actually docked at the port and unloaded. So yeah, it's just the the more people that are shipping, it's kind of like self-fulfilling that it's kind of creating more and more congestion and <laughs> prices are going up and up. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, we don't see it ending anytime this year for sure you know that is so i'm sure you've heard you know a lot of the labor force here i don't know what it's been like there but a lot of people have just stayed home and not gone i don't i don't really know if they're getting enough stimulus checks and unemployment to you know make up for what they're losing in income but a lot of this a lot of the labor is not going back to which is like mm-hmm. wow amazing in fact I was driving yesterday, I was going to Target and I drove by a Wendy's and I saw a little sign out front. I've never seen this before. It says job, something about job openings, but it said work today, get paid tomorrow. So they're, wow. yeah, they're really trying to get people off, you know, out of their homes back to, back to work. And they're, I, they're like, they can't. In fact, like Chipotle, today I went to Chipotle and they've been doing this a lot lately. They're understaffed. So they're all digital. You can only order from your phone online. The doors are closed and locked. And somebody there's somebody's there at the door who will open the door and hand out food, you know, the, the bag when, it, when it's done. Mm-hmm. Because they're just understaffed. It's crazy. Yeah, I've, I've heard, I mean... I don't know how true it is either because obviously I'm not in the U.S., but I've heard reports of that where lower wage job, people didn't want to go back to work because their stimulus check is actually more than that job <laughs> is income, right? And yeah. so these, you know, these restaurants are competing with the the government stimulus check <laughs> for mm-hmm. workers. But, you know, it, it will be interesting to see what happens after because I can imagine if companies have implemented the technology that you're talking about in Chipotle, that it will stay like that after, right? They will mm-hmm. keep those digital ordering. And because at least in China, it's similar. This has happened before the virus, like places like McDonald's um, or KFC, 
don't allow you anymore to go to the counter. Like you can, they have a screen where you can order like a touchpad or you can scan a QR code and order on your phone, but they don't actually have anyone at a counter anymore. Mm. And they've implemented this over the past, I'd say one or two years. So I assume this type of technology, now that the US is seeing it as a result of the virus, once it happens, companies are like, wait, we don't need cashiers anymore. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Let's keep I that, know. you know? <laughs> That's so. exactly what I think. I, you know, I, I try not to be political or, you know, like I actually don't care about the two sides or whatever, but just practically speaking, be careful what you wish for, <laughs> right? If, yeah. if, if companies are able, you know, they see they're, they're able to survive without you, why would they hire you again? And this yeah. isn't going to be nice in the short term, but long term, man, you guys are screwed. Yeah, at least, I mean, I don't think it's really a political thing. It's more of a business thing. Like if a business yeah. sees where they can take cost out of their, their business and mm-hmm. they see it work, just like in Chipotle, they're going to keep doing that, you know, because it, it provides more value for their shareholders. Right. So, so yeah, it's, it's probably a trend in a lot of industries that over, especially even with e-commerce we talk about, right. The amount of people that went to buy online is incredible. And mm-hmm. I think everyone that does e-commerce as a result was very, you know, actually the virus helped them a lot, at least, at least for us, it did. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess to go back to my original curiosity is, so that's what you're seeing. So does it seem, does it seem like to, it seems, so you say it's roughly stabilized, the supply and the demand in the factories generally. So it sounds like the real, the bigger issues that we're seeing right now with delays in getting products into warehouses here in the U.S. is really the logistics. Sounds like that's the main holdup right now. Yeah, I mean, I would say raw materials are still a bit longer than they used to be, but not as extreme as as in the beginning of the virus. But yeah, we're really seeing a delay in the logistics side of it. And we've seen a lot of our customers move to store more product in the U.S., whether it be at a, a third-party warehouse or they open their garage, they, they take out their car and they put, put in their own product, you know, in their own garage to, to try to create some type of buffer locally that they can draw on those products from. And we, we've always been recommending our customers to, if they have the cash, obviously, to make larger purchase orders to their factories and leave, we, we would say at least for shipping, two to three weeks a minimum extra of time compared to what they used to see in terms of, of shipping times. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's the only way to really uh, avoid it. It's, it's a bit hard for smaller businesses to change your supply chain to like bring yeah. it from China to India or some other country. And so the best solution, at least for the meantime, is to do some of those things to try to mitigate the, the pain of, of, of how long it takes. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> So it sounds like these things are, it's working itself out slowly, which was kind of the impression I had. But if you think about it, you know, a good starts with a raw material and it slowly gets through, you know, each phase and then it's shipped out the door and finally to the end warehouse where then it can be shipped to the, the customer. So it's just, it's, if you think of the pipeline, you know, there's this, this cartoon pipe with this big, (laughs) this big bulge going through it. You know, it's kind of what it seems like to me. Hey, we're going to take a quick break for a message from today's sponsor. This episode of Next Level E-Commerce is brought to you by Ian Bond of Professional Website Investors. I've known Ian for several years now and have been inspired by what he does, which is why he's been on the podcast three times now. And I always get great feedback on his episodes. Ian works one-on-one with executives seeking to acquire cash-flowing e-commerce sites through a high-end coaching program with very limited capacity. He has personally acquired over 20 e-commerce sites, so if you want someone with experience to help you acquire your next cash-producing asset, 
Get in touch with Ian at ianbond at professionalwebsiteinvestors.com. Also, he and his buyers from his coaching program are always looking for businesses. So if you are looking to exit your e-commerce business, get in touch with Ian. He and his group are interested in sites that are established, but are also open to younger sites that are revenue-producing, which may or may not meet the criteria for some of the well-known brokers in the space. And you can, of course, save the broker commission by going directly to Ian. And on a personal note, Ian is the guy I send people to when they tell me they're interested in selling. That's been true since long before he asked to sponsor the podcast. So if you're interested, contact Ian directly at ianbond at professionalwebsiteinvestors.com. That's I-A-N-B-O-N-D at professionalwebsiteinvestors.com. And now, back to the show. Yeah. And, and I think this year it won't end, but next year we should start to see the light <laughs> mm-hmm. improving a bit. I, I, I mean, just also, this is kind of just my opinion, but once countries are able to live life more normally with, with the virus and people spend more time outside and doing activities that they used to, I think also consumers might shift some of their spending away from spending money on all those products. Yeah. And then you'll have a little bit reduction in demand and it will give some relief to the supply chain as well. So, so as the world opens up more, it will also help kind of sort out this problem naturally, you know? Well, it's funny you say that because that's what has happened in the, Mm -hmm the businesses that we have visibility into a lot of them, June and July have been really slow sales months. In fact, some of them have been scary slow and Mm -hmm. um, people, of course, business, you know, business owners always freak out. Right. Of course. Of course. (laughs) Um, One bad month and you think you're, you're out of business, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, the world's coming to an end, but this is, almost across the board. And it, it's, it's not that any one business is, is doing something horribly terrible. You know, it's just, I, I think, you know, here in the U S at least, which is where most of the businesses are that, that we're working with actually all of them at this point, you know, people are getting vaccinated. They're starting to go back to normal life. They're going to the bars, they're going outside. It's beautiful weather. You know, they're like, ah, I'm I'm out of the house. I, I can actually give somebody money in person. <laughs> Imagine right. that. So I think that's what they're doing. But that doesn't mean I think commerce is dying. No, no, no. <laughs> Just yeah. let people take a break and come back. I, I think it will be. I mean, I'm not making a prediction because I think it's too hard for me that the, the, the size of the stimulus <laughs> was so big. But I think it will be interesting also to see what happens after a lot of the U.S. stimulus programs end to see how it affects the consumer and whether a lot of those dollars were going to buying products or, or what, you know what I mean? So we at our business, were kind of uh, waiting. I, I don't know which way it's going to go, but I think it's important for people to at least keep an eye on it and see what happens after that ends to see kind of what, what life will be without... <laughs> free government money, you know, will it be as great as it was before? Will jobs come back for, you know, people that are on those, you know, stimulus checks and will they get new jobs so that they, they can continue spending? I don't know. I've, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I believe in the next several weeks or at the end of September, I, I don't know when they end, but it's supposed to be soon. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I guess. Exactly. We could make some predictions. You know, it is funny that you, you mentioned that because that, we can actually see the stimulus spending in our customers' books. Like there was a big wave of stimulus checks sent out in, in spring. Like, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. There was our, a huge our logistics sales went boom. crazy. Yeah. yeah our, it was like we couldn't handle the volume. It was so crazy. So I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, that's so, so weird. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's interesting. Like we, the, I think some of those sales wouldn't have happened. 
some of those purchases because it's free money. Like, hey, I got free money. I'm going to buy this thing. But I also think that people have been planning to buy things, especially ex expensive things. We work with a lot of people who sell high ticket things that are like thousand dollars or or more, and you know that those types of purchases take a little more planning than a twenty dollar item, right? You think mm -hmm. about it for a while. And so what I think happened is some of those were newly created sales, but I think a lot of those sales were like, I was planning on buying this later, but I just got this check. I might as well get it now. And mm -hmm. so that purchase was pulled forward by, you know, two, three, four months or something. So then, you know, that when we come closer to the original date, that sale isn't there, but it was there earlier. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I remember those days. It was like, we were like all hands on deck and there was so much product moving in and out of our warehouse. So, probably the most in our history mm. during those, when the, each time that stimulus check hit, like it was like, <laughs> it was like a button that got pressed, you know? And, um, <laughs> boom, yeah, boom. It was, yeah, it was really, and I, I've never, you know, been around when such strong stimulus has been sent out. But to see it on the ground, it was really amazing, you could say, because you, you, you don't believe how powerful that, that type of stimulus is until you see it like mm. in front of your eyes, you know? So, yeah. And I'm sure you guys had the same kind of feeling. I mean, we had it shipping actual products, but you had it just looking at people's numbers, right? So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's wild. What a what a time to be alive. I like <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. Yeah, what what does it look like for you now? Like what this week, last week, what's it been like in the the warehouse? We've been pretty as you've said, like in the beginning of the year, we were a bit more busy than now. It's slowed down a little bit. So, it's funny that you say that your customers and our shipping volume have kind of matched in a way yeah um but we expect it to start ramping up as we get into the end of september or even september i assume people are going to be planning a little earlier this year that they'll start having their production runs finished for uh, the christmas uh, the holiday season you could say so yeah uh September, October is very, very busy for us because that's about the time where you need to get stuff on a ship to make it mm -hmm. uh, for the holiday season. Yeah. So, so yeah, we're, we're, we're preparing for that, you know, run up in, in volume and, and we just moved into a larger warehouse. So we're moving oh. to a, a bigger facility, which we've kind of grown a lot. Actually, over the last year during COVID, we tripled our warehouse size. So yeah, we were, we were very we were influenced in a very well, very good way with, wow, with COVID. Good for you. You know? So yeah, we tripled last year and we just are moving into a new warehouse that's double the current size. So that's like wow. five times more, yeah, larger than we started. So good for yeah. you, man. That's, I mean, yeah, yeah. That's we've all seen e-commerce. Anyone who touches e-commerce over the past year or so is, is um, yeah. seeing that. Yeah, um, I, I look like a genius, but I didn't plan it like that. I just thought it was a good <laughs> business, you know. Yeah, it was something I was already doing, and it it worked out well. Luckily for e-commerce companies during the virus, there's a lot of companies that don't have that exposure that really had a tough time. So yeah, so lucky uh, in a way. Yeah. Have you noticed any? Any, is there, are there any interesting trends? Because I know you do both. I don't know what you call the non-drop shippers. So you, your, your warehouse, you can drop ship to anywhere in the world, right? Individual orders. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you also send, what do you call Huh? Yeah. I would say like freight, sea freight and air freight mainly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah so we, we do. Freight to warehouses around, you know, here, if you've got a warehouse here in the U S or wherever, have you noticed any interesting trends or differences between the two? Absolutely. Huge. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so just to give your view, your listeners an idea, we do like the traditional drop shipping and then we ship like air and sea freight for e-commerce sellers, uh, usually to FBA warehouses, but sometimes to their own 3PL in their local country, you know, 
And we've seen a huge shift from drop shipping to people moving to sea freight and air freight, just because during the virus time, there's been a reduction in the amount of aircraft flights around the world. And so supply has shrunk and the prices to ship things have increased quite a bit from pre-coronavirus times, but also the the stability of the shipping, meaning like the on time, the amount of, you know, time that the, the products are shipped on time have, have changed a lot. A lot of products are delayed. And so it's become very hard to drop ship. I'm not going to say it's impossible. It's become more challenging to be a drop shipper from China yeah. uh, than it was before. And so we've seen a lot of customers change from drop shipping to doing sea freight to maybe a U.S. warehouse. And from the U.S. warehouse, they will um, ship the product to their customer. So a lot of business models have changed to that type of shipping arrangement. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But, but I mean, overall in the past, we even though you ca- we call it drop shipping, we would ship for a lot of customers that already had a brand, their own product. And they just wanted to serve the rest of the world. So um, we would help them to ship to all the countries that they didn't want to establish local warehouses in. So we've also seen that business slow down a bit just because it's become more expensive and the shipping times have gone up a lot. And, you know, they've had to weigh like, do we want to actually serve these markets? You know, is the customer experience good enough for, for their customers, et cetera? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, totally. So, so yeah, our, where our business was maybe at least 50% or more kind of the, I, I call it just direct from China fulfillment, or a lot of people call it drop shipping. That's probably moved to like 10 to 20% of our business. And now mm. 80% plus is freight, air freight and sea freight. Gotcha. Is there anything, any other, any, any else <laughs> stumbling with my words here. Are there any other aspects of the supply and fulfillment uh, chain that you are seeing that, that I just haven't asked you about that is like, oh, we, we should definitely mention? I'm trying to think. I would say just, I kind of mentioned it before, but a lot of people are using local fulfillment centers, like either in the US or Europe, Instead of, it used to always be, we would ship directly to Amazon FBA. And because the shipping times by sea were pretty reasonable and there were no limits, inventory limits on Amazon sellers, which there are now, but you could ship from China and always keep your inventory fulfilled. But now a lot of people are moving towards local storage. So a warehouse in the US where they store their inventory or Europe, and that's where they keep like kind of a safety stock to either send to Amazon or to just fulfill directly to their customers. So we've seen a big push to have the, the kind of local warehouse in addition to Amazon, because in the past, we saw a lot of Amazon sellers that just only used Amazon warehouses. And now with the current environment, it's become very difficult to manage the supply chain with just that option. Yeah. So a lot of people and obviously, those companies that, that do provide those services have become kind of overwhelmed. And, you know, we've heard that they're even running out of space or, or won't accept new customers because their warehouse is full. You know what I mean? So that's, that's yeah. the biggest trend we've seen, at least in the last, I don't know, six months to a year, for sure. Wow. Very yeah. interesting. All right, we've got a, pr- a prediction round. We, we've got to do it. You, you, you said the, the magic word earlier, and I, I didn't follow up, but I put that away uh, to, to bring up later. Inflation. This is on mm-hmm. everybody's minds these days. You know, stimulus, all of this stuff, supply. You know, it's a really multifaceted issue. What do you think? Are we, are we seeing inflation here to stay? Like, are these prices that, that we're seeing? You've already mentioned you think generally prices are staying where they are. But what do you think over the next year 
Is are you think prices are going to come down? You hit me with a tough question. I hate, I hate <laughs> making these predictions. Because I just, but well, I wrong. told you it was going to be the, the it's this is the prediction round. This is this is you you're you're free to say something wild and get it wrong. Nobody's <laughs> going to hold you hold you to that. Yeah, I mean, I think generally prices are going to stay elevated, and you're going to get inflation pretty consistent over at least throughout the end of this year. What happens next year, I don't know, but I don't see any prices going down. And yeah, I don't think the the, the logistics and the supply capacity will come back or until next year. So I think inflation, my my call is inflation is here to stay for this year. <laughs> there you have it, folks. Brian Miller, his email address is, <laughs> he says inflation is here to stay forever. Get used to it, folks. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think? Dude, I've been research. I've this has been a uh, topic of interest for me for a long time, but you know, here we're in the middle of this. So I've been reading and reading and reading for for years, but in I guess with more veracity lately. I, I think inflation is here. There is is an interesting dynamic because, you know, most economic progress is actually deflationary. Yep. So like perfect example, I have an iPhone in front of me. It has on it, it has a camera. It has what, what else? Uh, a calculator, calendar, all of these things you used to buy at a store, but it just comes with the thing. And yeah. so like, that's very deflationary. So to get any inflation at all, you have to have a very big inflationary pressure. And that can be from either the broad money supply, which has massively increased. Exploded. Yeah. Yeah. Or these supply demand issues, you know, relationships that we've been talking about, which have exploded. So that's a combination one, two punch is the supply demand issue is sorting itself out. So anyway, I think it's a very complicated thing. I'm very, very interested in it. I think, I, I think there's only one thing that governments can do, which is print more money. Cause if they slow it down, <laughs> if they yeah. slow it down, they go insolvent as far as I, I mean, understand. And so you, you can't, can't take that. away the heroin. No way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I agree with you, but it's it's a scary end outcome. <laughs> yeah, it can't go on forever. So I I, yeah. I have the same feeling as you. I don't, I, I I'm not smart enough to understand how that ends, but it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's gonna be a happy ending. I'm not sure. What do you think? <laughs> oh well, now we need an extra hour. Or we, two. Need a, no, we need another. <laughs> Actually, I have been planning on like, I, I want to start talking more about this on the podcast. Um, I haven't figured out who to talk to about it, like, because there's some really smart right. people I could talk to who, but yeah, I think this is important. I Have you heard of like the long-term debt cycle that's been popularized by Ray Dalio? We yeah. are clearly at the end of the long-term debt cycle, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody who looks at this agrees. So you're right. It can't go on forever. Just how long can it go on? That's the question, I think. Yeah. And yeah. what can we do as individuals and as groups of entrepreneurs or families or whatever? And like society-wide, what can we do to... I think I'm starting to see world events and economic realities as like waves. You know, like mm -hmm. this wave is coming. And there have been waves throughout history, all different waves. And not what can you do as one person? You can't stop that wave, but right. you can learn to surf, right? So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, how do we, right. how do we surf this wave? But yeah. I think inflation is, I think, I think first of all, it's going to be confusing to people because technology is exponential and it's, been, it's increasing exponentially. And that's a, an exponential deflationary force. The right. the the price of tomorrow. If you if you I've read it. I have. Yeah. I love that. Amazing. Book. Amazing. Book, yeah. That blew my mind. So, folks, I was going to bring that up book. that book. I was going to yeah, yeah. bring it up on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We should have whole episodes about that. And but yeah, read that book, folks. But yeah, 
it's an exponentially deflationary force technology. And so it's going to be confusing to people, I think, because they're going to see prices getting or remaining the same or staying low on some things, but rising a lot on others like housing, right? Mm -hmm. Housing is one that's just going to grow, I think. Mm -hmm. But I think it's here. Inflation is here. I don't think, I don't personally think we're going to see like German, you know, the Weimar Republic hyperinflation or the Argentina thing soon. I think that might happen at some point, but not soon. But there's a big difference between not much inflation and that. Right. <laughs> what do you think? Another episode That's, for that. Yeah. Yep, I yep. mean, it's, it, it, it would, I, if, I do have a lot of thoughts on it, but it would, we need several hours to, <laughs> to talk about it. You know? Well, let's go. You, what, so. How much time do you have? We, we, we don't want to do like the several hour version, but we can spend a few <laughs> extra minutes here. No, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think technology is deflationary, but printing money in, 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 in for central banks basically causes asset prices to increase, right? And so I think there's some limit to the amount, even though modern monetary policy says that there isn't a limit. I think I think you get to a point where your debt payments are larger than your tax income and when you do then then the the government becomes relatively insolvent right and i'm not saying the u.s is close to that but there it seems to be on a path to that and 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 that scares me but also the the printing of money helps wealthier individuals more than lower income and i think that's also dangerous to society it creates an larger wealth gap and when you have a society with uh, larger wealth gaps it just creates instability in society itself right and so i I think those are two things that people need to just watch out for and i don't know when you know it's going to come to roost but there's you know it, it seems like it's on a relatively dangerous path especially with all the money that's been printed since 08 yeah in from the financial crisis through to this time i don't know the number but we've printed like exponentially x times more money than we have in the past yeah and you can look at the fed chart like government published uh chart like it's a it's not a hockey stick it's straight up (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy this is not some tinfoil hat conspiracy person putting out this chart this is from the government but the fed itself Itself, yeah yeah so yeah i I think i think that's that's an issue when you have low-wage workers that can't keep up with asset inflation and Mm -hmm. and it really it it makes it hard just for the average person to to live, to afford a house, to, 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 to have a wage that they can support a family. I, I think it's, it's troubling, you know? So yeah, that, that's kind of my quick thoughts on it. <laughs> oh, I totally forever, agree. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mentioned I'm building a house, we're getting the keys. So that means, you know, it's been in process for nine months at this point, which is longer than usual because of all the reasons we've just been describing. That's the reason I've actually for a very long time been anti homeownership because mm-hmm. I don't think it's a great investment, but I, there was one, th- this was the one important aspect that I didn't realize was the inflation thing is that yep. I, I was I'm not super financially smart, but you know, like this is an interest of mine. And I, I just noticed after 2008, like the world kind of got back to normal after a few years. But the one thing that at least I noticed as just a regular person that was not the same after that was housing prices. It was right. like, whoa, suddenly I have to come up with twice as much as I did before to, to, to buy a house mm. if yeah. I wanted that. Or my rent was going to go up accordingly as well. And so I, I, I realized that that was the 
that was at least one of the, that was a visible cost to me, you know, an average middle class person, a result of what happened in 2008. And so Mm -hmm. like last year after the pandemic and I saw the money printing, all of that, I remembered that. And I thought, holy crap, we better buy a house now. That was the only reason I was willing. My wife's been very pro. We need to buy a house. We need to buy a house. But that finally was like, okay, I'm in. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because of that. It does. Yeah. Because asset holders win, not win, but they, they have a much larger advantage, whether it's a home or equities or, or any other asset. It's because of all the stimulus. It makes these things grow in value much quicker than they used to, basically. Yeah. I mean, in simple layman's terms, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it, you, you're kind of losing out in a way if you don't own some type of asset. You know? Yeah. So. And I had sold a business in 2019 mm-hmm. and I hadn't really spent that money, you know? Yeah. And I was like, holy geez, I worked really hard for that. It, I, I really think this is going to disappear, you know? Yeah. It became a lot worth a lot less, right? Yeah. Like over the, over the past few years, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, I want to mention one more thing. You mentioned the society, the, this social impact you know, the, mm. the wealth gap and all of that. And this then could turn into the longer conversation, but we won't, I'll just ask, have you read or heard of the book, the fourth turning? No, I've never heard of it. Oh actually. my goodness. You have Should to read this book. Yeah. <laughs> so you, so you do know the long-term debt cycle, which is yep. every 80, 90, a hundred years, there's a m- massive upheaval of the, the economic system as a whole. You can just go back in history and see this over and over and over. That's the economic and financial part of what I think the human experience is. There's also, interestingly, a more social view of that is like the generations. So like Mm -hmm. the GI generation that went off to fight World War II, they had to be very militaristic and authoritarian, right? Or respectful of authority, right? Mm-hmm. Then came the baby boomers who hated authority because we're all the same. We got it. So like you can see how now this is a cycle that repeats over and over. In in astonishingly, but when you think about it, it makes sense, the same time periods. Which yep. is like to me, when you overlay these things, there's no doubt something major is happening in this decade. And so yeah. Educate yourself, yourselves, people. Try not to be conspiracy <laughs> theorists. Just be realists. Look at history, right? Yeah, um, for sure. So, yeah that 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 book I would put on on your list and on for the, you listening. Yeah, cool. Uh, <laughs> all right, we got to wrap this up. Uh, <laughs> this is, dude. This has been really fun. Thanks, thanks for coming on and and sharing. Thanks for having me. Yep. So for those listening, you know, you have a warehouse in China, you do fulfillment there. If they need help with, with fulfillment or questions, where can they, where can they find you? Sure. Yeah. We have a website, easychinawarehouse.com, or you can email me at Brian, B-R-I-A-N at easychinawarehouse.com. So shoot me an email. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, maybe we'll maybe we'll have to do a, an update in a few months and see how things are going and and sure, yeah. dive deeper into maybe the, no supply only yeah. only uh, monetary policy, right? Yeah, let's <laughs> let's do it. Hey, if you're listening and you want to hear more of this kind of discussion, let me know. Let me know. I, I want to do it, but if you don't want to <laughs> listen, I, I won't. We'll see. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, have a, have a great day and, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. All right. That is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate you. And if you could do me one favor, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a review on your podcast player of choice. That will really help us get the word out and get more listeners to this great content. Also, if there's ever anything I can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I love hearing from listeners and I I just love helping in any way that I can. So please, yes, you don't hesitate to reach out. So that's all for us today. Have yourself a great week and I'll see you back here 
next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Next Level E-Commerce. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out on the next story.